Leslie Moody, host of the Set Apart Podcast, Biblical Encouragement for Women of All Ages. Today I'm excited to be talking to you about the miracle of unity, and this is part of spiritual lessons from Amy Carmichael. For the past few episodes, we've been exploring practical spiritual lessons and takeaways from Amy Carmichael's life. If you haven't studied her, she's one of my greatest missionary heroes, has written some amazing books, definitely not of this generation, but still so many of the spiritual truths that she lived out are applicable to our lives today in a really powerful ways. And our theme for this year's conference is abide, that abiding life of building intimacy with Christ and walking in that relationship with him throughout every moment of every day and living out a victorious Christian life enabled and empowered by his grace, making decisions that are an outflow of our relationship with him. What does that look like practically? And that and that's what we're going to be focusing on at this year's conference. So if you go to setapartgirl.com and click on our Abide conference, you can find out more about it. It's happening in June, the first weekend of June. You can also join us for a simulcast and have access to the sessions from June through the end of the year so you can share it with other women in your life and pick a time to walk through the sessions at a time that works best for you. So again, go to setapartgirl.com to learn more and register. We would love to see you in Colorado or have you join us via simulcast. So let's look at the miracle of unity. This is really a timely message, I think, for where the body of Christ is at today. Amy Carmichael and her ministry really promoted this amazing depth of love and fellowship and unity among her fellow Christians, her fellow co-workers in the Lord. And during a time in our generation when discord seems to really have the upper hand in the church, we have denominations bickering with each other. There's a lot of church splits going on, a lot of internal tension and turmoil among brothers and sisters in Christ. And as the political situation in our country becomes more and more intense, a lot of churches are dividing over current issues, political issues. And so to examine the way someone in a previous generation applied the principles of scripture to cultivate a beautiful unity among her fellow Christians. It's just really great timing. It's so refreshing to be reminded of that pattern that God has for us as as believers to have this incredible love for each other. So to lay a foundation for this, I want to tell you a little bit about Donover, which was Amy Carmichael's ministry headquarters or ministry community in India. When she first arrived in India, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, she was given the opportunity to be a traveling evangelist and really become kind of a famous missionary because she was a great speaker and she could have traveled and led missionary meetings and really made a name for herself. But instead, she chose to build a home base where helpless little children could be brought to her when they were in a crisis situation. And so many of these little babies that were brought to her or little children were escaping really horrible abuse from family members. Sometimes their lives were in danger. A lot of times they would have been sold to temple, into temple prostitution, which was sort of the trafficking that was going on at that time. And so she built this place called Donover, and she also began to take in widows or Indian women who had been estranged from their families because of their faith in Christ. So she was having this growing community of orphans and widows that she was leading, and she desired it to be a place that reflected the love, the the fellowship, the unity of Jesus Christ, a place that would be the reflection of heaven. And as she talked about how they built Donover and how they planted the gardens and how they built the paths and the trails that walked through those grounds, she would always talk about it being a place where the spirit of Christ could 
could come and be ungrieved. And she felt that he he was he would be grieved by discord and bickering and disunity. So it was something that she really was purposeful about cultivating in her ministry. There was a woman who was escaping a really difficult situation in her home, a lot of abuse and really being treated like a slave. And yet she was pursuing God the whole time. And one night she clearly felt God speak to her. I am going to send you to a place where they all love each other. And that was a foreign concept to this young woman who had only grown up around discord and anger and abuse. And yet she heard clearly from God that she was to go to a place where they all love one another. And a week or two later, she was in Donover. And that's where she ended up living for most of her life. When she went to Donover, that is exactly what she found, this astounding place where there was this beautiful unity and fellowship and incredible love for each other. That doesn't mean there were never any conflicts or discord, but because Amy Carmichael and her fellow sisters in Christ pursued Christ-centered love and unity and the fellowship of the saints that we read about in scripture, all their conflicts led to a deeper love, a deeper forgiveness, and more Christ-centered fellowship. They allowed those difficulties to draw them closer together. Now, how is it possible to have a family or a body of Christ or a church or a ministry where it's known as a place where everyone loves each other because in Donover, they were really thrown together under fairly stressful circumstances. It was a beautiful, set-apart and peaceful place that they built, but most of the women and children that came to live there were coming out of really abusive situations, really life-threatening or dangerous situations. And also, they had a lot of threats as a ministry from the outside world. A lot of people in the community saw what Amy was doing as a threat to Hinduism and temple trafficking and they really tried to block her way. They tried to get kids back from her that so they could abuse them and take advantage of them. And they threatened her. And a lot of times they were threatened with violence or imprisonment. So there was a lot of stress and tension surrounding the work that they were doing. And typically, when people are thrown together and they've had trauma in their past and they're now in a, a difficult, stressful situation, or at least a situation that that isn't just peaceful and easy and comfortable, it's going to draw conflict to the surface. It's going to cause more lashing out at each other, more taking out your stress on others. And yet in Donover, it was the opposite. They were hallmarked by sacrificial love for one another and incredible, amazing unity, that constant dying to self of putting the other person first. And Amy Carmichael's best-selling book was this little booklet called If, and it was written just from an internal conflict that was happening in the ministry of Donover. She writes about this in the foreword to the book. And If is really an incredible little book, and it's influenced my life tremendously. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But here's an excerpt from the, the foreword to the book written by Amy Carmichael about how this book came into existence. She wrote, One evening, a fellow worker brought me a problem about a younger one who was missing the way of love. This led to a wakeful night, for the word at such times is always, Lord, is it I? Have I failed her anywhere? What do I know of Calvary love? And then sentence by sentence, the ifs came, almost as if spoken aloud in the inward ear. Next morning, they were shared with another, for they had been written down with pencil during the night, and then a few others were shared. After this, some copies were printed on our little hand press for the fellowship only, and that led to this booklet. At first, when it was asked for, we felt, no, it is far too private for that. But if it can help any to understand what the life of love means and to live that life, then it is not ours to refuse. Some of the ifs appear to be related to pride, selfishness, or cowardice. But digging deeper, we come upon an unsuspected lovelessness at the root of them all. It is clear, I think, that such a booklet is not meant for everyone, but only for those who are called to be under 
shepherds. And I love her disclaimer there because these really are challenging truths that she's writing about in her book, If. It's it's sort of that... Lord, shine the searchlight in my soul and show me if there's anything in my conduct that is not reflecting the love of Calvary, the love that you reflected on the cross. And she said, this isn't just a book you throw out there for any person, but someone who is radically following after Jesus Christ and seeking to build his kingdom. So every phrase in the book, if, if I do this or if I don't do this, then I know nothing of Calvary love. She she also says a disclaimer about that statement. She said, it's not that we know nothing about Calvary love, but in that moment, moment we are not reflecting Calvary love. We are not reflecting the love of Christ. So this book is written more on the basis of a loving appeal rather than a strong rebuke. It's a very convicting book, but yet I I find it beautiful because the whole entire appeal of the book, If, is to reflect the love of Jesus Christ through our lives, not to just look at all the things that we're doing wrong. So I just want to take a look at the first few lines of the book, If, because I found them so convicting, but also very inspiring. So the conflict in her ministry led her to do some self-examination before God and saying, am I reflecting the love of Christ in the way that I respond to others in my daily life? And so here are the first few lines. If I have not compassion on my fellow servant, even as my Lord had pity on me, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I belittle those whom I am called to serve, talk of their weak points in contrast with perhaps what I think of as my strong points. If I adopt a superior attitude, forgetting who made thee to differ and what has thou that that, has, that thou has not received, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I can enjoy a joke at the expense of another, if I can in any way slight another in conversation or even in thought, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I can write an unkind letter, speak an unkind word, think an unkind thought without grief and shame, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Instead of turning outward and focusing only on what the other person was doing wrong, it led her to ask God to shine the searchlight within her soul and say, Lord, try me and convict me. May I be an example of the right kind of love in my everyday life. And just those first few sentences are very convicting. And yet in them, there is that gentle appeal to remember the incredible love of Christ towards us and respond to others with that very same love. It's allowing that love of Calvary to penetrate the nitty gritty details of our lives and our relationships, the way we speak about others, even the way we think about others. Jesus said this in John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that is a pretty convicting statement if you think about it. What are other people seeing when they look at our relationships with our fellow Christians? And think about it in a little different way here. It is such an unusual sight to behold people who truly love each other with selfless, unconditional love that people can tell we are Christ's disciples just by looking at the way that we treat each other. They'll know there's something different in our relationships. They should see something different in our relationships with each other than the way they relate to other people in the secular world. And that is what I see so clearly demonstrated through Amy Carmichael's ministry at Donover. They called it a fellowship. They called it a family. It really, it just demonstrated the miracle of God, the miracle of unity that is only possible by his enabling grace. And when we begin to apply the love of Jesus Christ in our daily situations, as I mentioned earlier, whenever we're in stressful situations and we're thrown together with other people, our natural human response is to lash out, not to become more unified. But when Christ is in the midst, you see the opposite happen. You see greater unity, greater love for each other, greater understanding, greater 
sacrifice, greater forgiveness. It goes in the opposite direction from what the natural human response would be. I think about another story from history that demonstrated the same principle. It was Darlene Dibler and her fellow missionaries who were in Indonesia during the Second World War. They were taken prisoner by the Japanese and they were in a very difficult situation. The men were taken away to one location and the women and one older man were moved to a very cramped shack and they had no food to eat. They had to forage you know, the grounds and the, the forest around them for food. And if they ventured too far away from this very cramped shack, they would be shot on sight by the Japanese. They had no way to get food or supplies or to get news of what was happening in the outside world. As far as they knew, the Japanese were taking over the world and this could be their future forever ever very much stressful situation. They were living off this kind of bird seed that they scavenged from the ground, the forest floor and ferns, and they were under constant threat, constant danger. To me, that is a really good recipe for stress and bickering. But again, just like Donover, they discovered something that a lot of other Christians have not really gone after, and that is the presence of God in the midst, building that miracle of unity. Here's what Darlene Dibler said in that situation. She said, our house was very small, two tiny rooms, a narrow hall, and a small cubicle for a bathroom. We would have to cook over an open wood fire under a two-person-sized lean-to on the east side of the house. Ruth and I slept on benches in the room that was to function as our dining room. Dr. Jaffrey slept on a narrow bench in the hall, and the others slept on crude wooden benches in the second room. It was all terribly crowded. Take seven very individual, independent women and one gentleman accustomed to being a leader and put them in cramped quarters such as these in which we were now being confined, and what do you have? Put God in the midst, and you have that rare and beautiful thing known as the fellowship of the saints. I find that really astounding. Just like in Donover, in the situation with Arlene and her fellow missionaries, their love for each other deepened even in the midst of extremely uncomfortable and stressful circumstances. It grew stronger and stronger as the pressure on their lives intensified. In fact, they were taken to a concentration camp after this that was much more difficult and stressful than this cramped little house. But even after years in the concentration camp, this is how Darlene described their fellowship with her fellow women missionaries. In those years of the very closest of associations, there had never been a quarrel or even cross words among us. I was the youngest and I needed their counsel which they freely gave. They had loved me, encouraged me, and supported me in every way. These women of God truly adorned the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am blessed to have known them. How good and pleasant it is for brethren and sisters to dwell together in unity, Psalm 133.1. Now, it could have easily gone in the opposite direction. There are so many stories, and we even know situations, probably in our own life, of people turning on each other when they're in desperate situations. In fact, I've often told the story on this podcast of Gladys Aylward, a missionary to China, when she stepped in and intervened in a men's prison riot in her village in China, these men prisoners were killing each other. And what led to that rioting and that violence against each other was being thrust together in a very stressful situation and not having the Spirit of God. But when the Spirit of God is present, when the saints are yielded to him, that miracle of unity, that miracle of selfless love happens. When Gladys Aylward brought the gospel to that prison, the men began to love each other and serve each other. 
I find those words of Darlene's very convicting where she said, under the most stressful of conditions and the closest possible association, which means no personal space, no privacy, just with these people all the time, they never had a quarrel or even exchanged cross words. Now, that's something most of us would not expect could ever be realistic, even just in a normal Christian home or in among Christian co-workers. But God's enabling grace can equip us to do the impossible. And Amy Carmichael believed it was possible, and that is what she pursued for Donover. And therefore, Donover became known as the place where they all love each other. Another way that Amy Carmichael applied this principle of Calvary love in her daily relationships is learning how to be the right kind of friend. And I've alluded to this in other podcasts, but it had such a profound impact on me as I began to read the way she approached these women and children that were part of her family. She was determined not to offer the kind of encouragement and sympathy that leads people into self-pity, but to be the kind of friend that inspired them to rise up on the strength of God and go to the feet of Jesus and gain all of the strength and equipping and wisdom that he had for them in difficult situations. And she approached the the idea of comforting her friends in a different way than most of us would. She wrote this, Many think of comfort as if it were a gentle kind of soothing and nothing else. But the Oxford Dictionary gives the original meaning as to strengthen. I have heard one who was, as she thought, comforting another say how hard it is for you. But that sort of talk does not raise up. It pushes down. It is weakening, not strengthening. God's comfort is never weakening. He leaves the soul he comforts stronger to fight, braver to suffer, grateful, not sorry for itself, keen to go on, not to yield. God make us all comforters in that strong sense of the word, his fellow comforters. And that is how she approached these relationships. In her book, If, she wrote it very simply. She said, if I blunt the edge of truth, speaking not right things, but smooth things, then I know nothing of Calvary love. So right at the same time, she is seeking to exhibit the love of Christ and show grace and understanding and love towards her fellow workers and those in her family, she also wants to be sure that she is not failing to speak truth into their life, but just trying to smooth everything over and just give them human sympathy when she knows what they need is the strength of heaven infused into their life. And I have gleaned a lot from that example. There's a huge difference between pointing someone to Jesus and infusing them with heavenly strength and just offering human sympathy. I think our natural default is to want to say what people want to hear rather than what they need to hear and just offer human sympathy. If Darlene Dibler and her fellow missionaries had gone through those concentration camp years just giving each other a bunch of human sympathy, there's no way that they could have had the kind of unity that they did. But because they constantly pointed each other to truth and led each other to the feet of Jesus and encouraged each other in the scriptures and the strength that was available to them through Christ, their unity was preserved and their unity grew stronger through difficulty. We see in the story of Peter when Jesus began to tell his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the Pharisees and the council and be crucified. Peter rose up in human sympathy and began to rebuke Jesus and say, Lord, this don't allow this to happen to you. This this is not right. This you don't deserve that. This is I'm not going to stand for that. And you would think, well, he's he's saying good things, right? But Jesus rebuked him and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan, because 
Peter was only giving that self-pity human sympathy message, and that's not what Jesus needed. He needed the strength to rise up and say yes to the call of God on his life. In fact, in some translations, when Peter first speaks to Jesus, it's translated as pity thyself. So he really was trying to point Jesus towards that self-pity rather than rise up on the strength of God and resolve to conquer. So I learned so much in reading Amy Carmichael's book, If, and the way that she approached encouragement towards others and working with others who are going through struggles. My goal now in my daily relationships is to point people towards truth, not just to smooth things over with nice sounding statements or just give a whole bunch of human sympathy or give them that that voice that says, oh, it's you have every right to feel bad for yourself right now, but to fasten their soul to Jesus Christ. And that's really exhibiting Calvary love when we're willing to do that. And of course, doing that in a loving and Christ-like way, not a fleshly way. So as we close, I would like to challenge you to prayerfully consider some practical steps that you can take to cultivate that miracle of unity in your daily relationships. It might be as simple as forgiving someone who has wronged you by the enabling grace of God. And sometimes we forgive the big things, but it's hard to forgive those little annoyances that crop up on a regular basis. But to go back to Amy Carmichael's principle, see in this moment a chance to die to die to self and say no to self and say yes to the spirit of God and overlook fault as it says in Proverbs and show that kind of love that covers over a multitude of sins. It could be speaking kindly to people who speak rudely to you. It could be learning how to comfort others the right way and fasten their soul to Jesus Christ rather than just offering a bunch of human sympathy. Or it could be making things right with friends or family members that you've wronged or that you've just habitually not treated as selflessly or lovingly as you should. Or it could be pursuing a lost and wayward soul by showing love to them rather than constantly just criticizing and being frustrated with them. So take this area of your life before God. The one takeaway I would want you to gain from this episode and from Amy Carmichael's book, If, is that beautiful unity, the unity that comes from the Spirit of God is not impossible. In fact, it is what we are called to as Christians. And when we go to God and say, Lord, make this home, this family, this church, this group of people, this group of Christians into a place where everyone on the outside can look in and say, that is a place where they all love each other. And Jesus said, they will know we are Christians by our love for each other. Psalm 133.1, Darlene Dibler quoted it earlier, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Let's pursue that unity in our day-to-day relationships. And if you haven't already read Amy Carmichael's book, If, I would highly recommend it. It's very quick and easy to read, but I find for me that I like to read one little section at a time and let God really work deeply in my heart before moving on to the next one, because almost every time I pick up that book, there's something that God gently points to and refines in my life. And I believe it'll do the same for you, especially when it comes to pursuing unity in your day-to-day relationships with fellow Christians. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into what it means to live a set-apart life for Jesus Christ and see the many other resources that we have available for you, please visit us at setapartgirl.com. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered